1: Hey, folks! Before we get this episode started, I'd like to take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters over on Patreon.com/positivelytrek, including Carl Morris, Joyce Marin jim stoffel and dave garcia thank you all so much for your support if you'd like to help keep positively trek coming to you each week please go to patreon.com slash positively trek you can help out the show and at any level you will receive perks such as early access and exclusive bonus content thank you all so much for listening and with that let's get on with the show
2: All right, it's time for a celebration, Dan. You and me talking about TOS. I mean, it's time that we really celebrate the series that started it all, Star Trek, the original series. For sure. 55 years ago, you know, it's perfect time. It's a
1: nice, you know, multiple of five. Everybody seems to like those. So, yeah, it's a great time to talk about it. So uh, do we have anything we can kind of refer to if
2: we're celebrating TOS or anything like that? I, d- I don't know. Um, yeah, maybe there's a book that would make a lot of sense. Like Star Trek, the original series, a celebration. Cause you remember they did a book on Voyager like that. Oh yeah. 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 The kind of convention in a book idea. I remember that. Yeah. I love that. They really should do that for the original series. You know, we should get like Ian Spelling and Ben Robinson to put that together. Like, can you imagine if we had them on the podcast now, we could ask them to do that.
1: That would be amazing. I, I don't know how we can pull that together kind of last minute here, but I, I think that's a great idea.
2: Okay. Well, let me just go here into the transporter and beam them in. And hey, guys, how you doing?
3: Doing okay. How are you?
1: Doing well. Good. Not too bad. Welcome to Positively Treks. So glad to
2: have the both of you on.
3: Thanks for having us. We appreciate it.
2: Now, this idea for a book doesn't that sound great? You sh- guys should really do that.
3: Talk to ben. <laughs> oh, yeah.
4: You remember Talk that? To ben. I thought we had that idea. I remember spending a lot of time doing something very like
2: that. <laughs> oh Wait a second. I have it right here. You've already done it, and I've read. M- most of it, not all of it, because I'm still working on oh, well, it. Oh, that's good. I'm glad someone has.
4: It's, 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 only been, it's only been out for a few days. So, uh, you know, we are, we are as curious as you are, probably, actually.
2: want to know what, what you liked, what you made of it. Okay, well, I will let you know for sure. But it does remind me in the format of the Voyager book, which we talked about earlier this year, which is really great. So tell us about how this one came about, because after you did Voyager, was that the thing that made you say, hey, let's, let's do a TOS book?
4: Uh, no, to be fair, we, I think I, I always thought of this as a series of books um, that would cover all the different series. Um, and if I get my way, not just Star Trek, but all sorts of series. Um, and because it was the Voyager anniversary last year, it made sense to start with Voyager. But, uh, you know, my, my grand plan uh, is to work our way through everything. So, and obviously it's the TOS anniversary this year, and then uh, next gen next year. And then Deep Space Nine. Year after that, oh, it's a strange kind of run of uh, <laughs> anniversaries. It might give you a hint to the way we're thinking.
2: Hmm, amazing how that works. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I will say that I was thinking of something as I was reading this book that I'd like to see you do this same format for other things. And maybe you're already thinking of this. And if if you haven't, and you like this idea, please. You have it recorded here of me saying, "Take it, run with it. You don't owe me anything." But I would like to see books like this that focus on each like species or something. Like there's the Romulan book, the Klingon book that goes through the history of every series and how those develop. Because you touch on the different aliens in TOS and how they were introduced. Yeah, I mean,
4: I I love that kind of thing. Um, I I love that thing of seeing how things change and grow and you know the thing you learn when you talk to all these people about making tv shows is it did not spring fully formed from someone's head it was not like oh yeah gene Roddenberry sat down in 1964 and thought right i know what all 79 episodes are Uh, you know it just doesn't work that way at all and And I hope that that's that's what you get from the book is a sense of how things evolve and change. And, you know, they only came up with the Klingons because um, the years were too expensive for the Romulans. You know, it's um, life is full of accidents.
1: So one thing with regards to this book, and and this is kind of mentioned at the beginning with the introduction, is there are tons of books about the original series, like Making of Star Trek and The Concordance and all this stuff. And you talk about wanting to set this apart and make it different from everything that's come before that and how that was kind of a guiding principle uh, when writing this book. So how did you make this a special kind of different creature from those other books? And and, and how did you kind of realize
4: that uh, goal? So Ian, you remember this was like our first
3: conversation. Exactly. Much. Exactly. Look, one of the big <laughs> challenges with this kind of book is Star Trek is 55. What What is fresh and new to tell? There are stories about this, that, and the other thing that have been told. But this was one book. That was another book. And the other thing was yet another book. This kind of is an umbrella that puts it all in one place. And that was one of the things I think that Ben and I are most pleased with about the book. Uh, yes, there may be uh, books about the makeup of the show. And that's a book unto itself. We have 256 pages in this book to tell the story of the original series. So we can't devote 256 pages to any one thing. So we tried to really cover all of it, uh, and get to the key points in each of the elements that we wanted to cover. And I think that was the big thing that we were shooting for. Ben, you agree?
4: Yeah, I think, I think that, that that pitch, you know,
3: that initial idea I had of like, it's the best
4: convention you could ever go to in a right. book,
0: mm-hmm.
4: um, you know, that, no one's ever really done that for the original series. I mean, you know, we, I mean, Ian and I have read everything that anybody has ever written about the original series, I promise you. Um, and quite recently, in fact. <laughs> um, and what what we wanted to do was to bring it all together in one place. Right. So, uh, And we wanted to strip away some of the myths as well. I mean, I, I wanted you to feel like you had a really good idea of what it was like making the series, you know? And so we, we wanted to cover everything. So, you know, the the fact that Bill Tice has got people like making the costumes down the road so that they're not union people and they're hanging them, you know, p- passing them through the windows in the morning so they don't get caught. Lennon Nemo is getting in to see Fred Phillips and getting in the makeup chair at uh, 6.30 or 6, 6 6.30 in the morning and Phillips is like rolling his own cigarettes as he does his ears. You know, I wanted to just give that kind of sense of it coming together and being alive. Because I think there's so much has been written, but it's in so many different places and you don't really get to kind of pull it all together and and get an overview.
2: That's how I felt when I was reading it, because to your point, I've read other books about the making of TOS or stories that have taken place. During it, And I was still picking up things in here that I either never heard of before or forgotten, but just little things that just showed the evolution of how the show was getting made, even just the little nuance of trying to get Gene Ronberry to write the opening and the time crunch and getting that done so William Shatner can record it. I mean, those little elements were quite interesting. Was there anything that you picked up on that you never knew before that you added to the book? Well,
4: there were things we never knew because no one knew, as far as I know. Um, So we found a few people to interview who um, no one had ever talked to. I mean, you know, it's been 55 years and most of these people were in their 30s. So, um, you know, sadly, most people who worked in the original series are, are long gone or relatively recently gone in the case of Dorothy fontana um but we did find some people um some post-production guys there's one guy who well there are the two great stories i i love these stories that we've never heard before there's one guy who who looks out the window and sees sees elvis walking into the desi reception and ends up going and introducing him to the cast um which i i i sorry, not Elvis, I said Elvis, I'm Mohammed Ali. Why did I say Elvis? There's an Elvis story as well. There's a Jimmy Doan Elvis story, right. but Mohammed Ali. The Ali story is fantastic. And, you know, there's Ali wanting to meet Michelle Nichols and being nervous and being worried that she won't want to meet him. Um, and then there's another guy who, um, you know, on the very last day he was working in the post-production team. And the last day he sees them putting all this stuff in the dumpster and he he walks off with the six-foot model of the Enterprise, one of the Gorn costumes, a box of Tribbles, um, and, and what he called the eye charts from Sickback. So these are stories, I, I don't think, I mean, we'd never heard them. And I kind of figure if, if Ian and I had never heard a story, not many people can have heard it.
3: Right.
4: And then, Ian, you talked to a few people who people really haven't talked to that much.
3: Right. I was thrilled. I, I got a little obsessed about things. Ben and I had the conversation, look, let, let's find the stories that either haven't been told at all or rarely been told and, and tell them in their, in their full scope. And so I was thrilled to track down Ruben Klemer, who was the guy who created the gun toy for Man from U.N.C.L.E. And it turns out that he had created the phaser rifle for Where No Man Has Gone Before. Well, that second pilot helped convince NBC that Star Trek could be an action show as much as a you know, highfalutin sci-fi type of show, right? And a high concept. And so they, they, bought that, well, they bought the show based on that. And that phaser rifle was used in a publicity shoot and then basically never seen again on the show or anywhere in the world. Well, Ruben Klamer had it for like 50 years. He finally sold it uh, at auction for a quarter of a million dollars. And he, do you remember the game of life, the board game, the game of life?
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
3: He's in the Hall of Fame for creating that game. You, huh. think, you know, the board game Hall of Fame for creating the game yeah. of life. And so he, he was 99 years old when he passed away last week. And he's in the book. I was able to track him down. Uh, it literally took me about two weeks of asking around and emailing. And, and I finally found him. And he was sick. And all of a sudden, his assistant calls one day and says, Mr. Klamer's having a good day. Can you talk? And I said, let's do it right now. And I literally just on the spot winged it. Um, For 20 minutes and chatted with the man. So I'm thrilled he's in the book. And then another great example was um, April Tatro, who was the human form of the cat Isis from Assignment Earth. Uh, It's a long story. The short version is nobody knew who played that. It was an uncredited role. And then another actress uh, was thought to have played the role. And she finally came out a few years ago and said, it wasn't me. Leave me alone. I don't want to sign photos of a role I didn't do. Well, Larry Nemechek had found her, and had, he had her on the podcast, but she'd never done an interview for print. So the first interview ever with her that's on a piece of paper is in our book. So I was thrilled to get her. And there's lots of things like that in there as well.
2: Yeah, I, it, because we're big Star Trek fans, we all know... Anything anybody had any association with Star Trek, we're interested in, and we want to talk to and want to hear more from. It's always interesting to me to that you find people who are actors or people who are behind the scenes that just did a small thing and never thought anybody would be interested in anything they have to say. Like uh, Carrie Foster was another example. Uh, what was she an actress on uh, The Cage? Is the, the only living one. Never thought anybody would be all that interested in her.
3: Right. And, and she was a fascinating woman, and there was a, a Roddenberry family connection and all sorts of interesting stuff with her uh, that we had never heard and you know still alive and, and had that story to tell. and it's in the book, and you know she's got her own chapter. Uh, we were thrilled to have her too. and there, there's a, a bunch of those in the book, Andrea Drum uh, was also a really interesting story, and uh, there's, a, there's a bunch of others in there. and as Ben was starting to say, you know, we pulled out some boxes in the book where you'll see little anecdotes that have interesting stories that may or may not be familiar to a lot of people out there. And I just want to touch on that. That was one of the key things that we were shooting for. It was kind of the line we needed to walk. The book is meant to be have some fresh material for people who are hardcore fans. We have photos in there that either have never been seen before or rarely ever been seen. Uh, and we're particularly proud of that, I can tell you. And then we also wanted to make sure that the book was accessible to people who were newcomers to Star Trek and kind of introduce them to the world. If you've got like a 17 year old kid who's discovering Star Trek through discovery, they will get a lot out of this book because it will take them to the source of where it all began. And that was the other goal. And I think, Ben, tell me if I'm wrong, (laughs) you're the boss. I, I I think we walked that line pretty well of creating something that will appeal to both audiences.
4: I'm certainly, I mean, that was, I'm certainly very pleased with what we ended up with, but it's it's up to, you know, it's up to the readers to tell us, I guess. I mean, to go back to Ian's point, the other thing that I really wanted to do is, is kind of forget everything we know now. You know, that you sit there now and you, we all know Star Trek and we think of it as Kirk, Spock, McCoy. We think about that, you know, the importance of Scotty or Sulu or Uhura, all of that. But when they were making the series, you know, I really wanted to do, so like the Andrea Drum, who was the yeoman in, um, in the second pilot, um, or Laurel Goodwin, who was the yeoman in the first pilot. We wanted to sort of take you through and say, this is who it was going to be. It was really close to being this, this, you know, and to give some time to those characters. Um, it's, it's like the yeoman was intended to be a really major character in the original series in the first season. Um, And, you know, it's only when they kind of halfway through the first season that they kind of think, actually, you know, that's not really working. Let's let's change course. So we wanted to just sort of sweep away everything, you know, and just start again, as it were, you know, just sort of like come into this imagining you hadn't seen Star Trek. Right. And and seeing how it how it changes and how it comes into being.
3: And Andrea stepped away on her own accord. To, to, do yeah. a, to do a movie. Russians are coming, the Russians are coming. I mean, interesting, fascinating anecdote. And then Laurel Goodwin talks about how her life would have been completely different if, if the show had continued with her on it. Uh, you know, every, everybody's story is different. It's really interesting to us as fans of the show to find these little nuggets that uh, fascinate me, no pun intended.
1: <laughs> yeah it is incredible like going through this uh and and like you I've probably read just about everything that I could get my hands on and yeah to see stories or little tidbits that I've personally never heard before that's just such a gift to lifelong Star Trek fans and uh, to your point about the photographs I remember like opening this up and going like, oh yeah, there's going to be the familiar photos that are in every book. And then I just randomly, there was a page with uh, DeForest Kelly as McCoy and it's definitely a photo I've never, ever seen before. And that's just such a nice little gift to the fans who consume all of this so voraciously to have the new things like that. I love that. Can I
3: point something out that was thrilling for me as a fan and as the the co-writer of this book? I brought it with me to the Vegas event last month and I showed George Takei and I showed Mm. Brad, uh, George's husband, the book, and George was autographing it for me. And they're sitting there looking at the photo saying, Ian, we've never seen this photo or this photo of George you're like where the heck did you get these and can we get copies because I think they wanted oh, to you know to have him sign at shows but it was great that's the kind of reaction we wanted this is a guy who's been with the show for 55 years looking me in the eye and saying I've never seen this before
4: I think that's, that's the so other cool the other thing about you know Ian and I have both been doing this a long time um and we were very finely attuned to what people had and hadn't seen. So we we, you know, we knew when we came across them We're going, no, you don't see that one. You know, we were looking at something. and going, well, actually, yeah, people have seen that photo. I've seen that one before. It's kind of rare, but, you know, I have seen it. Well, I've never seen that one. Let's, let's go with that. I mean, there are some pictures in there from the cage and from where No Man Has Gone Before that absolutely blew my mind. I had never seen them. Um, and in fact, there are more that aren't in the book, but they're, you know, just some spectacular photographs from the first two pilots.
3: And guys, if we can give a shout out here to James Cawley, uh, a lot of the photos came from James Cauley. He's the, the guy who runs the, the Star Trek set visit up in Ticonderoga. He has a personal collection that he has amassed and we're, you know, we're in the midst of the pandemic and you have myself and Ben and James, and it was James's son, Patrick, right? Uh, yeah that was with us. So the four of us are on a Zoom call, just like the four of us now, looking through photos on our computers and sharing and going, oh my God. Literally, we were like, can I say shit? We were like pigs and shit. <laughs> looking at these <laughs> photos, like, oh my God, I've never seen this before. How cool, like, we were totally geeking out at these photos. It was absolutely amazing. And a lot of them are in the book. There are 200 photos in the book and a very good chunk of them are either very rarely ever seen in a couple in what, a handful of cases, Ben? Never-
4: I have I, well, I have a story I haven't told you, Ian, actually. Oh. So the other person who was a great help to us is a guy called Gerald Gurion. Right. Who runs the Star Trek Prop Authority. And Gerald is incredibly helpful. He, he provided us with a lot of the film terms. Um, so, you know, they used to keep all the little extra overs from the editing bay. They'd get swept up at the end of the day and sent down to Gene and Major's house and they'd sell them at conventions. Um, and he was like, well, oh, I've got these, um, I've got a lot of Matt Jeffries stuff if you want to. And I was like, well, actually what happened was Matt gave me this folder. It's like an NBC folder with um, all of the things that he still had transparencies on. And I had never really, I'd kind of gone okay, yeah, yeah. There's like 360 pictures in there. Plus there's a load of other stuff, which we didn't even touch in. There's a load of very um, red shifted stuff, which are like the film trims he took, which he used to show to visiting directors and stuff that would show the sets from all the different angles. Uh, But Gerald was like, oh yeah, I've got, and then it turned out what had happened is that Gerald had been given a copy of my folder. By Penny Jude, who used to work for us at the time. But I hadn't also realized until we did the book, I'm sort of going through and realizing how many of those 300 and something pictures had been used or not. Because a lot of them are in the, the Herb Solo um, original series sketchbook, but not all of them by any means. There's certainly not 360 pictures in that. And we were able to do things like we'd put stuff together that I'd never seen put together. So Gerald had. Uh, film trims of Stratos from the Cloud Minders, which was like this polyfoam model thing that they hung from the ceiling originally. And I had the concept up for it. And no, I don't think I'd ever seen them on the same page before,
2: mm-hmm. you know, uh,
4: along with the finished shot. So that was the kind of um, bringing everything together that was a real pleasure for me. Mm-hmm.
2: This is just amazing oh, to me because so cool. yeah, as, as I was, as I was going through the book, I was noticing photos I'd never seen before. And again, I'm thinking I've seen it all. You know, I even have the book Star Trek Lost Scenes. And I thought, oh, I've seen them. You know, the ones I haven't seen were in there and now I've seen them all. Where do these people find these? Like, where does James get these photos that he has them that no one else has seen? I mean, it's just, I guess, going to different shows and reaching out to different people. Yeah, I mean, the,
4: the, the, the story is a long, complicated one because Gene took all of the publicity photographs and that stuff with him. When he left, so none of this is very little of it is actually in the the Paramount CBS archives, so it's all been kind of spread to the world, and they, you know, been sold at conventions like the film trims, um, you know, the original publicity stills haven't been seen a thousand times because. the the ultimate rights holder doesn't have them anymore. Um, You know, and, and you get this, you find that back in the day, people used to give people the originals and then not bother to get them back. So there's, there's actually even more out there than you might think. Um, And we're really pleased to have put as much of it as we can in this book.
2: There are so many little stories in here that I would love to like talk through all of them, but of course we don't have time. And I don't want to spoil too much of the book. I want people to read the book and go, I didn't know that. Or that's interesting. (laughs) But you know, like, you know, Nichelle's costume as Uhura was originally green, uh, gold, and then they switched it to red, and I never really knew the reason for that. But it seems like it was just to be, you know, looks
4: better. See to that. It's better for her coloring. Yeah,
2: yeah. And they were saying, like, you know, oh, and adding color to the the series, and so you put an African American woman on. Well, you said you wanted more color on the show. You know, little bits like that were very <laughs> interesting.
4: The one I'd forgotten, there are a couple I'd forgotten, which I did know. But again, you know, you have so much Star Trek in your head that you can't access all of that in one go. So the two stories I'd forgotten were one um, that it was Grace Lee Whitney who made them shift from pants to miniskirts because she came on and said, you're not making use of my best asset why am I wearing trousers? <laughs> um, so they were like, oh, okay, yeah, we'll put you in a mini dress. And then as a result, everybody else ended up, well, everybody else, every other woman ended up in a mini dress. Um, and then the other one I'd forgotten about, which I, I remember laughing at the time you told me about it, was when they were filming Arena, Matt Jeffries told me that they, they found this guy who um, made these lightweight rocks. So they, they got a couple of these lightweight rocks from him and they went up there and they're filming with them. And they turn around and they, they kind of hear this noise, and they discovered that dogs have eaten one of the rocks. And it, turns out, it turns out that the guy had filled the rocks with dog food. And, he was like, and Matt was like, okay, and the guy was like saying he wanted us to pay for the rock. And I was like, no way you didn't tell us it was full of dog food. Why would they put oh, dog brilliant. food in a rock? Uh, that was well, that was Matt's point. Matt was like, why would he fill it with dog food?
1: <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Um, so, I love the layout of this book. So it's, you know, there's so many books that are like, they, they try to be episode guides and they, you know, have little interstitials in between them or something like that. Your book here, it's it's got focuses on particular episodes but not every single episode not you know in that kind of way and interspersed through this you know you have spotlights on the various actors and like the makeup department which that was one of my favorite sections of the book here looking through this what was the kind of uh thinking in in how this was laid out and 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 how you decided to um, present this information in this way
4: Um, well it goes back to the voyager book Um, I mean, I guess I had, I've always wanted to read about every TV show I've ever watched or loved anyway. Um, but I've never really found a book that did it the way I would want it to. Um, so one of the great privileges of, you know, getting to choose what goes in the book is you just like, well, I'll do it the way I want to do it. I'll do the way I would be interested in. And for me, that was, you want to know about the characters? You know, if you think about that convention thing, you you know, you go to a convention and you want Bill Shatner and Leonard Nimoy and, you know, D. Kelly and George Takei and Walter Koenig, everybody to be there and to tell you how their character came to be and, and why they were the way they were and to tell you some funny stories. But I've always thought that the thing that people forget about is that the actors are at the end of the process and often don't know the answers to the questions people would ask them. You know, why was it like this? And uh, mostly the actors don't really know. Uh, Leonard Nimoy is a bit of an exception. Leonard was very, very influential on why Spock was the way he was. So I wanted that to include the writers so that it wasn't just one person talking about the character, but lots of people who were involved in the creation of that character. And then you get kind of funny, nice little kind of um, asides and tidbits. Like one of my favourite things is um, George Clayton Johnson when he wrote uh, The Man Trap wanted to make um because there were no, no relationships were really established at that point he wanted to make um kirk and scotty best friends which is ironic uh, <laughs> but you know that would have been in his mind that would have been the kind of the main relationship in the show the captain and the engineer not the captain and the science officer anyway sorry off on a tangent and then i think the other thing was like the work of all the departments and then you like look at it and you think well actually you know but you people want to know about Klingons and Romulans and phasers and tricorders and all those kind of things. So you, you put all of that in. And then it's a little bit different. I mean, Ian, I think we talked about how this had to be different to the Voyager book. Right. Because the Voyager book had been very much... And I think, I think Mark and I did something like 35 new interviews for the Voyager book. Right. And that, that wasn't an option. Um, we would have been very happy to do it. But Ian had this incredible archive of interviews he's done with the guest cast and to be able to sort of just pull that together was a big was a big goal for us was a you know something that would make this book stand out
3: i hope right and to your point guys about the the episodes we also didn't if you notice we didn't call them the the 12 best episodes of star trek for ben and i literally sat there and, and Debated and conversed and argued a little bit about what were the most important episodes, uh, which were the ones that, even if they weren't as important, were the, the ones that had an influence either on the show or the fans for whatever reason. So it's not a top X amount list. It's, it's episodes that were important for whatever reason. They introduced the Romulans. They established this relationship. They did whatever function that they served in the show that at the time it was just another episode. They didn't realize what they were creating in the process. All of that came later. And so it was fun for us to go back and say, all right, let's see how this episode helped connect the dots to even what you're seeing on Lower Decks now. Uh, so interesting uh, to us in that way. And, and that's why the episodes in there, you know, if, if, if we get feedback where somebody's like, well, how come you didn't do this episode? This is the best episode. Well, we didn't because it wasn't the best of episode type of listing in the book. Uh, and we really enjoyed that, trying to argue which ones were the ones worth covering. And if you looked at our list, we literally, you know, the, the, the two or three that didn't make it, I'm sure we're both kicking ourselves saying, well, should we have added more pages? But we couldn't
4: yeah i mean you you end up online
3: somewhere right
4: original Mm -hmm. series you end up doing like 40 best episodes right
1: (laughs) the 78 best episodes of the 70 you know yeah
4: oh no i've got a couple i really don't like i've got at least three i really don't like
1: (laughs) yeah if if there's you know any book that has a big feature on where the children shall lead no
4: yeah yeah well it's there's uh one of the rarest things in there is um the Gorgon sketch, which is oh. reproduced from, um, reproduced from a, f- a kind of official fanzine from 1968, and I had never seen that before.
1: Yeah, I was flipping through and saw that one as well, and I was like, "Oh wow, that's that's interesting for sure." Absolutely. Just looking through here, and and for example, the the new and interesting stories that you guys found. For example, April Tatro, I just love that story. Um, with the whole Larry Nemechek angle and all of that as well. And the fact that it's opened up whole new worlds for her, you know, the fact that she can be a first time signer now for a a trading card set that's coming out next month, you know, as an original series character, just as a little tie in there. I think that's, that's really cool. And I love that that story is highlighted in this. So that's awesome.
3: And and she was lovely as could be. And I met her at one of her, first conventions in Europe a couple of years ago. And it's actually where I conducted the interview. And she, w- this was a whole new world to her. Mm-hmm. She had no clue. And she had a long line because nobody had ever seen her before. And so she was doubly astonished. She's like, one, why does anybody care about me? And two, <laughs> why is my line so long? And I said to her, you understand that you are, are a person of fresh interest to these people who in many cases are completists and want everybody and everything uh, associated with Star Trek and you're still alive and you are full of stories and you're full of energy, of course, they're going to be interested in you. And, and she was absolutely dazzled. She was amazed. And, uh, you know, I, I called her and said, like, you're going to be in the book and it's going to be great. And here it's coming out. And I sent it to her and, uh, you know, she wants to send a note. I literally just got a note from her convention agent saying she wants, uh, my address and Ben, so she can just send us thank you notes for including her in the book. What a great story. Oh,
2: that's awesome. Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> you have to wonder what she's thinking all these years when she's hearing about the popularity of Star Trek and the conventions that are going on. And she's just like, yeah, but nobody would be
3: interested in me. Right.
2: I don't mean anything to anybody. How little she didn't know how much it means to these fans. You right. know? And
3: she made about 90 something dollars. For her appearance, I mean, think about that. You know, Mm -hmm. she's going to sign three autographs and make more than that.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. (laughs) Oh, she's finally
2: getting paid the big bucks. Oh
1: yeah. After all these years. Right.
3: (laughs) She's going to get six houses like Ben. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I also
2: like speaking of like big bucks and things. It's like I've I love how George Takei finds out that James Doohan is making money from selling scripts that he had and here George's niece and nephew have been coloring on his. Isn't that a great like story? It's <laughs> just trash. Yeah.
4: yeah, you get the same thing with the Tribbles. Everyone's like, oh yeah, I just gave the Tribbles to the kids. It's like, oh. Or like um, oh, wow. the, the guy who works in post-production who took the box of Tribbles home. Um, they were in his garage and they got rained on, so he threw them away.
3: Nice. Crazy. And it's funny, Terry Farrell gave me two tribbles from the, the tribbles episode that they did. Uh, and uh, she I said to her, nobody's going to believe these are from the show. So she actually wrote on an autograph photo for me. I gave Ian two tribbles in 1990-whatever. They're real. <laughs> somewhere I have that photo and the tribbles are in a box somewhere in my house. It's great.
1: Well, and the best thing is now you start with two tribbles. Who knows how many you have now? That that yeah, I don't want to open
3: that box.
2: <laughs> Very careful not
3: to feed them. That's right. Men more the gremlins, absolutely. Don't feed them.
2: <laughs> the other thing, though, I want to mention about this book that I liked as I was reading through it is its current, right? I mean, because there's things in there that makes reference to the new series Strange New Worlds coming out when you're talking about the cage or those characters from it. And as you mentioned earlier, Ian, about Lower Decks and, th- and there was even a little short segment there about Simon Pegg playing Scotty and how he approached the character and not trying to imitate James Dewan as Scotty. So again, even if someone says, Oh, I know everything about Star Trek, this is an updated version. This is from a perspective from 2021.
3: right?
4: Yeah. And, and I think the other thing to go back to the, the layout, it's not just the content of the book, but it looks, I mean, that's the thing I'm most excited by is the way it makes Star Trek look fresh and contemporary and new, you know, we just took, I mean, we literally, we took the layout we designed for Voyager, put the original series and I went, wow, this looks great. You know, I mean, just to give it that kind of modern treatment and the, you realize how much of that, that stuff has come back round again, you see on Strange New Worlds, like with those strong colors, um, very kind of 60s modernist aesthetic, Uh, really really made it look fresh and new and and i hope that makes people think about it in a different way as well
3: it's contemporary as old as it is it's contemporary Uh, timeless even
0: there you go
1: yeah definitely just looking at some of the behind the scenes photographs and stuff the the filming of the of the miniature of the enterprise and the the one one thing that I hadn't seen before was the original transporter effect from the cage that like the particles coming in from the sky and the weird outline and, you know, oh, we didn't just decide, decided not to go with that. All these little decisions that echo through the last 55 years now, 55 plus years, because of course the cage was even earlier than that. But like the the opening narration, like the narration we could have gotten versus what we have now and and all that stuff. It's just, it's so wonderful to see that evolution and and see that take shape on the page here. It's a it's really amazing job oh, done you guys Thank you. Yeah, I
4: mean, on the, the beaming, there's also, they were originally going to show a beam going from the ship to the planet. And they just thought, oh, it's another optical. It's another expense. Let's not do it. Um, and then the beaming itself, I mean, people do know this, but you know, the beaming's there because it was cheaper than uh, landing shuttles. You know, you've had to have like a great big winch with a shuttle. So yeah, I mean, there's loads of stuff there that either we kind of half knew, but you'd never put it all together. You know, I mean that that the one the example I always give people is like Leonard Leonard Nimoy, he, he, you know, all the stories that Leonard had told, and he was, you know, Leonard, I mean both Ian and I had the the, the privilege of interviewing him. And it, Leonard was remarkably sharp um and and clear in his memories i mean you know i I interviewed george takei he said you know ben i don't actually remember being in star trek um (laughs) leonard would be like it was a tuesday um though it had been raining uh (laughs) which is unusual in Los Angeles." you know i mean he, he was like but to actually take all of those stories and put them in sequence which was something i'd never seen done before so you'd see that spock goes from okay you're getting number one's characteristics. So now you're cold and dispassionate. You know, to have him sort of go, okay, and the act has changed, so now I'm acting against Bill Shatner instead of against... Uh, I keep, I want to say Anson Mountain, I don't Jeff <laughs>
0: Anderson, Hunter.
4: Jeff Hunter. Um, <laughs> um, you know, and, and because Jeff Hunter had been a very subdued actor and Chatner was not subdued, it changes his performance. And then you get uh, like, oh, okay, now play it cold, now do this, now have the nerve pinch, now have the mind meld, now have this. All of those things and seeing how they were introduced in the course of that first season um, and knowing that Amok Time was originally going to be in the first season um, you know, that that story, I don't think I'd ever seen it put together that way before. And th- that, again, I think that's just one example of that. But that's that's what we wanted to do, is to, to kind of put stuff together to give you a narrative.
3: And part of the narrative that fascinated me with Jeffrey Hunter was you know, the whole thing about him leaving the show. Was it his wife who said no? What was Hunter's thought? What did Hunter think of Star Trek? Well, I tracked down his son who gave us some context for how much he was actually interested in the show. And I get this whole story of them sitting in a car together and his dad telling him about, here's what's interesting to me about Star Trek. I had never heard the story before. It was amazing to me. And, uh, you know, again, it's a little piece of history, but there's now context to it. Oh, he was interested in the role. He did think Star Trek was interesting. You know, other circumstances led him to leave to leave. But how cool is it that he liked what he was doing and the idea behind it? And I hadn't really seen that before anywhere. So I was thrilled that we were able to include that in the book.
1: That's cool. I I had seen a few years ago, Jeffrey Hunter's son pop up on an Internet forum talking about Anson Mount's performance. And he said how his father would have appreciated the performance and stuff. But like, I, th- I feel like that's the difference between us fans who are like, Oh, that's kind of cool. And then you guys who are putting this together, who are like, let's talk to that guy and get his stories. And I, w- I wouldn't have thought of doing that. And that's such a, a brilliant, that's an amazing interview to, to get and stuff. That's pretty cool. I, I love that.
4: And that is the, <laughs> the great privilege of what we do is that you get to say, well, Shall we try and get so and yeah, so? Has anyone ever talked to so-and-so? Let's ask. You know, and and pretty much everybody says yes. Not not everybody, but most people do. And and the other thing, I guess, is like you know, Ian and I both were lucky enough to have interviewed uh, these major figures who aren't with us now. You know, I mean, sadly, neither of us ever got to talk to Gene Kuhn, but um, but between us, we talked to I mean, I don't think we ever, we gave up counting when we started, you know, we started, well, I interviewed, oh, I interviewed, oh, yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, I had a long chat with Margaret Arman. I had a chat with, yeah, I mean, you know, the list of people that we were lucky enough to talk to, having started doing this 25, 20, 25, 30 years ago, um, is extraordinary. I mean, between the two of us, we really, really have an incredible list.
3: Right. I mean, I met Roddenberry when I was in college and got to interview him. I mean, it was crazy.
1: That's amazing. I Actually, I, I wouldn't mind just touching a little bit on that. Like, Ian, your your very storied career of talking to a lot of these famous people and, and people very important to our fandom, I did a, just a little bit of kind of a look into your career and your time with the various magazines. And even before that, just... The the interviews you were able to get, I guess what, what to you would may, maybe be the most memorable opportunity you've gotten to talk to somebody involved in Star Trek? Well
3: the Roddenberry story was fascinating to me just because I was in college. I met him at a convention and I wanted to interview him. He was with Majel. So Majel sat with me and did a 10-15 minute interview. And Roddenberry said to me, I would love to talk to you, young man, but I don't have time. Hands me his business card and says, call my assistant tell her I said yes. I, fine. So I I get back to SUNY Albany and I want to interview him for my college newspaper. I called this woman and she says, yep, Mr. Roddenberry told me, no problem. And the next thing I know, we have a day and a time. And I go back to my suite and there's a yellow sticky on the door that says, Gene Roddenberry called, he has to postpone the interview. Uh, A famous director died and he has to go to the funeral. Here's his home office number. Call him tomorrow and you'll reschedule. And I said, okay. And I mean, you have to understand, Roddenberry himself called the school's front desk, had them find my suite number. And he then personally called and spoke to my suite mate to take care of this. I mean, what are (laughs) the odds? And then I call Roddenberry and he says, let me call you back for the interview, because this was the mid 80s and it was a dollar a minute took from Albany to to Los Angeles for a phone call. So he called me and then he gave me almost an hour of his time, I'm a college kid, SUNY Albany, Albany student press circulation, 12,000. It was crazy. And we did this great interview. And then he said, young man, this was a lot of fun. Um, I wanna talk more. So we got on the phone the next day and talked more and I didn't record, one of the greatest regrets of my life, I didn't record that second conversation. Um, but it was amazing, and I sold the interview to Starlog with Gene and uh, the sidebar with Majel. Um, it wasn't my first interview that I had sold to Starlog. I had sold uh, Tawny Welsh from Cocoon and James Remar from Clan of the Cave Bear, but those were my first Star Trek interviews, and that led to my twenty-something wow. years of writing for Dave McDonald at Starlog, and it literally set everything else in my career in motion. Um, so Roddenberry would would be the big one. And then if you said to me, what was your m- most you know greatest experience on the show uh, or with the franchise? It would be I was on the set of Star Trek four when they shot in the Paramount parking lot uh, in the water tank with the, the Klingon bird of prey in the water and the, the whale swimming by and they're jumping into the water. Jimmy Jimmy Dewin slips and falls into the water. That's an outtake. That's at the tail end of Star Trek 4, if you watch it. It's the only outtake. Everything else is replays of scenes from the movie. This is the one outtake that's shoved in there. It's more or less an alternate take of what is in the movie. And they had lightning machines. This was old school Hollywood. They had uh, fans blowing the water. They had had, uh, Catherine Hicks. uh, It was cold and she was wearing a sweater. They had to tape... Her chest down (laughs) because I think Leonard Nimoy was worried about the (laughs) the rating for the movie um, if uh, if it got too cold and uh, things didn't go right. I mean it was crazy to be on the set of one of the coolest scenes in one of the coolest movies, and I was 22 years old. I was 22 years old. So yeah, those are a couple of my favorite stories from Star Trek. There there are a ton of others. I mean they let me be an extra twice on the show. Uh, That was cool. Uh, Starlog. I came up with the idea of. How about a day in the life of Star Trek? So I literally toggled between the sets of Deep Space Nine and Voyager. I got there at like eight in the morning and I stayed until late at night. And I spoke to the security guards. I spoke to the craft services people who make the food. I spoke to directors, sound guys. Uh, I went to the editing bay. I sat in Rick Berman's office. um, And we did literally, it was a time clock of the entire day on the set. And that was a cool experience too. Uh, and uh, I watched them shoot. I think it was the, uh, the whole sequence from First Contact was also shooting. Very, very, very cool.
4: Yeah, for me, the biggest thing was I spent a day with Matt Jeffries. That yeah. So Matt, oh, wow. I went out to Matt's house, Matt and Marianne, <laughs> his wife, Marianne, and uh, we went and sat in his study. And this was before he just sold everything off. So, you know, that model of the, all the sets and everything, yeah, it was there and he pulled it out and we were like going through all the different pieces of art and literally going through every piece of art and him saying, oh, yeah, that was like this, that's like that. And he's like, you know, pointing at uh, Dufferin Cochrane's house from Metamorphosis and going, yeah, never put a door in that. It's a bit of a cheat. Uh, <laughs> what year was that, Ben? <laughs> Uh, oh, 99 thousand. It was just before the auction. Um, yeah. So, I mean, and then and th- that same trip, i got Bob Justman pulling me to one side and saying, you don't know this yet, but you're going to buy me some wine. <laughs> Bob, was, uh, <laughs> Bob was completely obsessed with wine and spent a fortune on getting wine from France. He'd come over on these big European trips and spend tens of thousands of dollars on wine. And then like weird ones, like one of my favourite people, I'm just sticking with the original series because otherwise we'll be here forever. Um, you know, people you get to interview and uh, John Meredith Lucas, one of my absolute favourite people I interviewed, I just thought he was a wonderful man. And uh, his, this has got nothing to do with soundtrack, his grandfather, his no, his stepfather was Michael Curtiz who directed Casablanca. Um, but then my grandfather had worked for Alexander Korda Uh, in the UK in the 30s and he had known Michael Curtis. So there's this kind of like weird connection between between us. Um, And I I love John Lennon because I thought thought he was such a nice such an intelligent guy. And it was always such a shame he didn't come back for the third season as well.
3: Mm -hmm. And one of the other cool things guys and again it's not it's a uh, offshoot as a connection my late uncle uh, was a guy named Gerald Mayer. Jerry's uncle was Louis B. Mayer as in Metro Goldwyn Mayer. And my uncle was a television director. And one of his, uh, he directed uh, several episodes of Mission Impossible. So he worked with Nimoy. He directed uh, George Takei uh, in an episode of something called uh, O'Hara U.S. Treasury. He directed tons of the guest stars from Star Trek over the years in all sorts of things. Uh, He was good friends with William Campbell and directed uh, Bill in like uh, three or four, like two movies and three or four shows. So the connections, he never directed Star Trek. Um, he did Logan's run. He did uh, the invaders. He did a little bit of a uh, uh, voyage to the bottom of the sea. He, he did my favorite episode of the $6 million man and his tennis partner for many years was Var Bennett. It was just right. I oh, mean, wow. how all these things <laughs> just come full circle is, is really very cool.
2: It is. It's really a,
1: oh, yeah. a small town. Oh, God, yeah. Really, yeah, 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 yeah. It comes down to it.
2: So, <laughs> here as we speak, I'm being handed something that just arrived in the mail. I got these beautiful books that we're oh. talking about right oh. now. <laughs> I buy <I want.
0: laughs> one.
2: That we can give away here on the show. You're giving them away? <laughs> well, I mean, I could charge for them, but I don't think I should do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, look at these. Oh, and look, I can't even open them. They're wrapped. So, you know, that will show you that do a contest right. or a so we'll, giveaway, well, you know, all we need is Terry. Now we just I'm get try- Terry mm. Farrell to come along in there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So I'm, And yeah. sign an
1: eight by 10 that, you know, they were given away by her. Yeah. How do we want to do <laughs> this?
2: You know, how I, I do want to do like a contest or a giveaway. I, I mean, this is on the spot, so I have no idea. Like, anybody have any good ideas? I mean, my I naturally go to oh, tweet something, but you know, maybe we should come up with a trivia question, maybe, oh. and have people email us the Let's answers. What? you guys know well, they,
4: well, there's so much Star Trek trivia. Um, right. I'm trying Ooh. to think what stories we haven't just blown in the interview. Uh be <laughs> really good story. Well,
2: we didn't talk about Walter oh,
4: or... uh, we could talk about something really trivial, so okay. we could ask which actor who oh uh, no okay, this is even better. Name two actors who played a a Vulcan who wasn't Spock, but could have been Spock.
2: Ah. Two actors,
4: not one, but two.
2: Two actors who played Vulcans that could have been Spock.
4: But one of them was actually, one of them was put forward for the role and was Joe Diagosta's favored choice. And one of them was actually offered the role when Leonard Nimoy uh, was having contract issues at the end of the first season.
2: Hmm. Okay.
1: Interesting. So as a as a huge Star Trek fan,
3: I can't play. Right? I know, the answer.
2: <laughs> I know one <laughs> no, You of these. can't play. Ian, no. <laughs> if you read the book, I if hope you read have the book, book, you know the yes. answer. It's in there. Yeah, it's
1: a good I'm question. Working my really through yeah. it. So,
2: hmm, that's a good one. So, like that. okay, that's the question. So, anybody who has the answer and w- would like to win one of these books, you can email us the answers to positively track. At gmail.com, positively trek at gmail.com, put in the subject line Star Trek book. We'll make it pretty simple that you're submitting your answer to win one of these books. So, yeah, these just arrived. I was sitting here as we we're talking, I was getting these notifications that there's a package. So, I sent my wife to go see what it was because I have a feeling it might be this. Yeah. And so, Bruce, we have is it three to give away? Is that right? We have three to give away. Well, I mean, unless I keep one. No, I'm not keeping <laughs> one. Yes, we have three to give away. Yes. Okay.
1: So of the of the people who answer correctly, uh, we'll uh, randomly pick three of them, I guess, of the correct answers. I was going to say, it's quite
4: a trivia. It's quite a tough question, I think. It is a tough question. You right? might not get three it people. You tough, might have yeah. to be like, if you get one of them right, you can
2: have.
3: Or the, Or the first three people who get it
4: right. <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah. That could be, yeah. 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 We'll,
2: we'll figure it out. We'll, Let we'll us make know. It I, I want an
3: email from you, please. Saying who got the books. That'd be awesome.
2: Well, and then, <laughs> yeah, for sure. We'll do that. And then also when we finish recording, I want to know the answers so we make sure we get, to, <laughs> <know> <laughs> if they get it right or not. Right. So definitely.
1: Well uh, yeah. So those of you listening, even if you don't know the entire answer, Send in what you do know, because you never know.
4: <laughs> I think a I'm, lot of people will know one of them.
1: Yeah, I, I know one of them for sure. Yeah, same, So. yeah.
2: Hmm. But mm, that second one, that's a little tricky. Yeah. All right. There you go. Excellent. So, um, real quick, we d- didn't talk a whole lot about William Shatner, but there is some new news about Shatner that Dan and Ian were telling me about before the show here in the New York, new York Post. It mentions he's going mm-hmm. to
3: space. That is real. Is that real? Next month, no less.
2: <laughs> 90-year-old
3: William Shatner is going to yep. go up into space and be the oldest person ever to do it. How cool is that? Uh, you know, people are wondering, will he go up in costume? Will he do whatever? Trust me, I'm sure he won't, okay? But <laughs> I think it's, unbel- it, it, it's perfect.
4: As How if many, he wasn't right? immortal enough.
3: Right. How many missions has he you know, called into and said, you know, this is your wake-up call. It's Captain Kirk. You know, this kind of a thing. For him to actually go up into space i think is brilliant absolutely brilliant whether he thought of it whether the bezos people thought of it uh however it happened i think it's great
1: yeah that's pretty cool so yeah like you said next month in october uh he'll be up in space a 15 minute flight just like uh jeff bezos just recently did on his blue horizons uh spacecraft and like you say, oldest person to be in space—that's uh, that's quite a milestone. That's pretty cool. He's going where um, other people have gone before, but he'll still be setting a, a milestone, a new record. Absolutely there.
3: right. Where no ninety-year-old has gone before.
2: True, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Now, Jimmy Dewan got to space, but yeah, yeah well,
4: his and ashes, Gene as well. Yeah. But, yeah. But, yeah. I was going to
2: say. I was going to say Bill will be the first one to
4: come back. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, Absolutely. some we'll be- some on the show may want him to stay up
4: there. Oh, Jimmy's Jimmy's already up there. I think Jimmy would <laughs> rather he came
3: home. <laughs> I'm, I'm staying the hell out of that conversation.
1: Yeah, that that's a that's a landmine. That's a third rail to touch. We won't we
2: won't go too much there. I hope they do a reality show of him prepping. Uh, sure, there's a
3: documentary in the works. See. No doubt about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Definitely. Well, we'll be keeping an eye on this and uh, reporting how the flight went, of course, uh, when it happens. So that's that's pretty cool. It's our first Star Trek star actually going to space. That's uh, it's a it's yeah, definitely a yeah, milestone. Quite
4: a thing.
2: Okay, I'm gonna put you guys on the spot real quick before um. we end this, and you don't have to say anything. But I'm just curious: Have you seen or heard anything about Prodigy that you have an opinion about what the show might be like when it comes out? Yeah. I- I- are you excited? I think it's, or? it's look. Um, I was sorry, name dropping.
4: Um, I was interviewing Mike McMahon about the Cerritos last week, and Mike is lovely and incredibly enthusiastic. And he was saying, You know, I knew that we got it right when I heard that people were pissed off.
2: <laughs> I love that answer. Yes, yes,
4: and it, it, you know, that. I, You know, Ian and I remember when Next Gen started and people were pissed off. Um, you know, this isn't my Star Trek. You know, this is different. And I think it's kind of important that Prodigy... It, 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 there's a lot of stuff out there that is designed to satisfy old men like me. You know, and Prodigy is designed to bring in a teenage audience um, that doesn't necessarily care about the original series or even next gen or, uh, you know, any of that stuff. Um, and I think it's it's pretty important from the, the franchise point of view for Star Trek that it brings in new blood, that it brings in you know, young people who who get to see what makes Star Trek good. Um, you know, I, I know the guys who are working on Prodigy are serious about making good Star Trek. I know that's their intention but it is also their intention to make something that 14-year-old kids really enjoy. And I think, you know, they, they have to be given that chance. And, you know, it probably is going to piss off old, old people. You know? <laughs> um, but that's kind of important. And <laughs> You know, any any franchise has to grow and change. And I think as long as they do it with some seriousness and, and a belief in the kind of core values of Star Trek, um, then I'm all for it.
3: And then building on what Ben said, my, my feeling is, look, A, the more the merrier, and B, if it's done well and it gets generates the interest in Star Trek, maybe those new fans will go back and check out everything else that's come before. And all it's,
4: 800 I, episodes.
3: All right, all 800 <laughs> episodes, and they'll buy one book called you know, Star Trek The Original Series. Yeah, they
4: need to buy a book just to give them an idea of what the original was all yeah. about.
3: So, no, I think it's great. The more the merrier. Again, it's Ben's point. If they do it right, if they take it seriously, look, it's going to be canon. So it's a game changer, however you look at it. But there's room. You know, bring it on. Let's let let let's see what they do. I'm excited.
1: For sure. Yeah, me too. Definitely. Uh, so the important question, though, of course. Uh, ben, we're getting a Cerritos model from Eagle Moss. I'm very excited about that. Very happy to see it. Will we be getting a protostar at some point?
4: I would like to think so. Um, I'm, I, we, it's not going to be within the next year. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I would like to think that every, certainly every significant Star Trek ship we'll get to make. But, you know, there are, we just have to wait and see. It just depends on whether people keep buying stuff as much as anything. Excellent.
2: <laughs> you can count on me. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. What else do you have out that you want to promote here on the show and let people know about?
4: Well, we have a, a quite, we, we do have other Star Trek books. Um, so we have um, a book uh, written by my friend Rob Pullman about uh, Grudge's view of uh, Star Trek, which I think is a lot of fun. That's very entertaining. I'm just trying to think which other books I've lost track in. I'm thinking about the middle of next year.
3: That's the Book of Grudge. Ben Ben is talking about the Book of Grudge. Uh, I would talk a little bit about the one that's in the works, which is Nana's book. Oh, well, oh, yeah. yes. That's a yeah. big
4: deal. That's a big deal. Yeah, I I, I I spend a lot of time on that every week. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a fascinating book. Oh,
3: um, well, he's sneezing. That's called A, a Woman's, Woman's Track.
4: Yes. Um, I mean, Anar is... You know, it's something we came to Nanar and said, this is a subject that we think is interesting and it isn't being covered enough. Would you like to do this? And she was like, oh, yeah. Um, And it's been fascinating sitting in on all the interviews that she's done, um, you know, and seeing the different kind of experiences that, that women have had over the years and how incredibly inspirational Star Trek has been for people. Uh, but also, you know, I mean, I didn't realize because I'm in the UK, I don't think this was true, but, you know, that women couldn't get credit cards in their own name in the US in the 1970s. Mm-hmm. You know, you had to get it in your husband's name. And if you were like, so there are various actors who are like single mothers. So Nikki, Nikki DeBoer was saying that her mom, her mom was a single mother. She couldn't get a credit card um, or <laughs> Hannah Louise Shearer was, like, Hannah, Hannah's still angry about it, quite rightly. You know, um, so we, we've already talked to all the, the all the writers, all the, all the writers who on all the female writers who are on staff who are still with us. Um, we talked to a few of the actresses, so obviously um, Nikki Nicole De Bur, um, Penny Johnson, Kate Kate Mulgrew. Um, got a, a bunch more interviews coming up in the next couple of months. I, I think it's, uh, you know, it's. I think it's important. I think it, it's something timely. I think it's actually a story that is incredibly complicated because sometimes Star Trek is, is absolutely in the right place. I mean, um, Nana's N- N- line is, you know, Nichelle Nichols went where no woman of, woman or woman of colour had been before, but she went there in a miniskirt, um, And that, that kind of sums up Star Trek in the 60s and to some extent in the, in the 80s and the 90s um and then when you get to the the modern shows you know I mean, one of the things that's most striking about the, the last episode of uh, season three of discovery is there is literally a token man on the bridge everybody else on that bridge is a woman and the show is being written by women and produced by women and directed by women and uh, showrunners yeah showrun, absolutely women. yes yeah. i mean yeah so you know that it, it, it's a it's star trek is a kind of uh, a microcosm of, of what's happening in society in many ways it's on the, the cutting edge of it. it it has these aspirations um i, I think it's gonna be i just I, I think it's gonna be a really interesting read and i think it's past due and i think i think it kind of really gets in a way to actually being what star trek's really about because it, it's a book that will be about something
3: right and just to follow up on what Ben's saying it's not just people from Star Trek, it's women influenced mm. by Star yeah, Trek. Yeah, yeah, we've been mm.
4: talking to like NASA scientists and,
3: and feminists
4: there and. and feminists and yeah, all sorts of people.
3: All of that. And then also to answer your question about other books, uh, if I'm looking at our schedule, uh, just out was Deep Space Nine and Beyond, uh, which is one of our art
4: books. Oh, my concept art obsession, yes. <laughs> uh,
3: 2294 to the Future, which is another, outbook, uh, another art book. Uh, both of those are out. Uh, we've got the, the Star Trek, the next generation nerd search coming up, uh, as well, which should be a lot of, that'll fun. Really uh,
4: test. that'll really test your knowledge of the series. Yeah. That's
3: that kind of where's Waldo with the twist. You're looking for mistakes in Star Trek images that are made on purpose. Mm-hmm. So you've got to point out what's wrong with the images. Uh, there's a, a, a next, uh, celebration book, which I think you can guess the title of, uh, at this point. And, uh, uh, there's a familiar writer that involved might be a year away
4: yeah. you might be grateful <laughs> if it's year a year about- away <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah. <laughs> uh so there's a lot and then what's the uh uh there's an alpha quadrant another alpha quadrant art book uh coming up yeah well those well. are the
4: big ship catalog books so those are like the encyclopedias of ships books which obviously we're getting pretty we're getting pretty deep into that now um and then the other thing that we've got it's a big project. Uh, those those of you who've been collecting the big build-up enterprise will see that we've been starting to do our kind of episode by episode stuff. Well, we're going to take that and expand on it and do season by season companions for next gen, where we're putting in everything that we can find. And I have been uh, literally sitting here t- scanning transparencies. Uh, <laughs> wow! DNG season <laughs> one it's so yeah i mean I've, I've collated a lot of material i mean we won't quite be able to squeeze it all in because i just found 60 pages of storyboards from encounter at firepoint um <laughs> it's, we can't publish a book quite big enough to put everything in uh, but the idea is to to do like a really in-depth really illustrated you know as much um as much stuff on the visual effects and the concept art and uh, Costumes and the makeup and all of that as possible, so I'm really looking forward to that. I think it's something, something the series has been crying out for.
2: Well, we're going to have some really great episodes in December because Dan and I have both ordered the Borg Cube Advent Calendar.
4: Oh, cool! That is so cool. Mm -hmm. That is so cool. You should (laughs) be. We're going to
2: reveal, like you know, talk about it. You're going
4: to do it every day. You're going to do like a daily. Well, yeah. Come on, we're not going to do a daily podcast. I want to do this like a tweet every day. Of, like, okay, every, I open yeah, the we can. Day do that, and this yeah. is what we got. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah well, I've
1: got my YouTube channel. I've been thinking of doing like a daily, just little minute long reveal kind of thing or something like that, maybe. So. And
3: what's cool with that is there are two others of the Advent calendars. There's a Doctor Who one. So I'm sure your Doctor Who equivalent out there yes. hosts, oh, yeah. uh, podcasts are, are going, you know, their their heads are getting ready to explode. And there's also a Beatles one. That
2: one looks really cool too. Yeah. Which
3: is really cool. Yeah. yeah.
2: I saw some great Beatles stuff just the other day. I was in Cleveland and I was at the rock and roll hall of fame and seeing some really cool Beatles stuff there. So yeah, I'm, my mind's on Beatles right now. So oh, maybe Beatles, I'll have to get that. The Beatles, that Beatles one
4: is beautiful. I mean, oh, it's my gosh. Like, I mean, I, they're all really, really great, but the Beatles. I want all is, three. Yeah. Well, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Feel free. I mean, you know, but I, I, I really, you know, and I, really hope that people get a blast out of those. I think it, they're, I mean, I, I claim no credit for them. I did a bit of consultancy work and made a few suggestions to them, but the, the team that worked on those come up with. I think they're absolutely beautiful, um, and you know, I, I really, I'm, I i can not wait to see people opening them and, and having fun. And the other thing that's really cool about them is the stuff in them is worth about twice as much as what they actually cost. So by the time you've got all this stuff out, you will be like, Oh, actually this was really cheap.
2: Yeah. You're actually <laughs> getting these items at a discount.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Everything's about, well, like I guess the, the whole, the, the contents are worth more than double what you pay for it. So I, that's I think, pretty cool. Yeah, you should be pretty happy.
2: So this book that we've been talking about, Star Trek, A Celebration, I assume that all the major booksellers are selling this or maybe even through your website.
4: Uh, yes, all of the above. Yeah. So you can always come and get it direct from us at Uh Obviously, you know, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, all those kind of places. Um, Amazon are actually discounting the Voyager book really heavily at the moment. So uh, if you didn't pick that up, this is a good time to do a double buy um you like one you don't like the other yeah
3: <laughs> and i can tell you we are super proud because in, in the u.s it's number one on the art of uh movies and television nice it's oh, a wow. Star Trek celebration book and it's been all week
1: oh I mean, congratulations
3: thanks we're ahead of harry potter and dune which just you know blows my mind
4: that's so, awesome that's music to we'll my ears thrilled. yeah
3: we are thrilled. but yeah but the
4: other thing is come on come and find us on twitter and tell us what you think of the book I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. We, we're we proud, um, but, you know, what matters is that it makes pe- make people happy. You know, that's, that's the whole goal is to, to, you know, to give you some fresh insight, tell you some things you didn't know, share a few funny stories, make you think again, make you look again, um, and, and just remember why Star Trek is such an exceptional thing.
2: And what's that handle on Twitter?
4: Uh, for me, I am, oh my God, what am I? I am at Ben C.S. Robinson, I think. I'm um, I mean, easy to find. I, there aren't too many Ben Robinsons. There's some basketball player or something, but, you know, you're pretty obviously yeah, not so. me.
3: <laughs> and best way to find me, everybody, is, is Facebook. Just Ian Spelling on Facebook. I'm, I'm much quicker to respond on Facebook.
2: Does anybody ever accidentally call you Aaron Spelling?
3: <laughs> All the time. And, and uh, I interviewed Aaron Spelling a million years ago. And we were trying to figure out if we were related. And I I kind of said to him, you don't want to be because I'm coming after my money.
4: <laughs> yeah, actually, that's... Um, if, we,
3: if we are. I didn't tell
4: you this. Um, there's another story in that um, Aaron Spelling had his office on the lot at Deslu. And, the, and the, the post-production guys used to watch the actresses going into Aaron Spelling's office on a Friday night.
1: Oh, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. Good
2: for him. <laughs> oh,
4: dear. <laughs> <laughs> i'm not drawing any conclusions i mean you know uh, there may well have been a lot of actors going in as well
3: right uh and tori spelling asked me the same thing uh when i interviewed her (laughs) uh, house of yes a movie that she was in yeah it's very funny yeah i get asked that all the time any relation i'm like i wish
2: (laughs) well thanks guys for joining us we really appreciate it uh great book i'm not done reading it and I'm looking forward to finish the rest of it. And, of course, we're giving this out. Is that giveaway, PositivelyTrek at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at PositivelyTrek, also on Instagram. And check out the Positively Trek Facebook discussion group. We have a page, but you want to get in that discussion group where you can talk about this book and other things Star Trek related. And I'm at Admiral underscore Rex, Dan. I'm at Kertrats, that's
1: K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S, just Star Trek backwards.
2: And guys, I'll give you the final words on anything you want to say about Star Trek that comes from the heart.
4: Oh, no pressure. Ian, you go first. <laughs> I've got them. Oh, yeah, busy. thanks,
3: boss. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know what? Look, Star Trek changed my life. If you said to me 30-something years ago, was a kid watching it, it repeats in New York uh, at 6 and 11 o'clock on... Uh, Channel 11 picks in New York that I'd still be talking about it, writing about it, having been on it, writing my first book about it, never would have believed it. So if it's, I'm one of many, many, many people's lives, Gene Roddenberry's creation changed for the better. So I'm, I'm incredibly grateful uh, for Star Trek and, and honored and thrilled and proud to have even teeny little connection to it. So that's my story.
4: Yeah, and for me, I think it it is it's it is that kind of privilege thing. You know, that you know this book is is the combined uh, experiences or you know interviews and whatever that Ian and I've done and to realize how many and and how lucky I was to get to talk to those people um it's you know you'd be mad not to to realize how lucky that is and how privileged it is and and also just that Star Trek endures you know it really really does and you when you look at this book I think you'll get some idea of why you know it looks great and it's got ideas it's got ideas and heart and casting so many things that just came together in a kind of perfect way that nobody could have predicted
2: Well, it was a privilege talking to both of you and we really enjoyed it. And thank you again so much for joining us and for the book. And we want to say to you and to our listeners out there to stay positive.
0: American Giant makes great clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, and more right here in the U.S. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order with code STAPLE20. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card.